This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Thank you to the Aguda for providing us such a beautiful, uplifting Shabbos. I look forward very much to carrying the Chizik back with me to Chicago, to the Midwest. Also appreciate the honor to speak to Rabbi Wallerstein. Uh, I want to thank you for something publicly. This is kind of loud. But he gave me a tip about four years ago that before every time that I speak, I should get a bracha for my wife. A beautiful, beautiful tip. I already got my bracha tonight, so we're ready to go. Okay. Four years ago, there was a Rabbanim conference in Chicago. And as I, as I was unpacking my car to go into the conference, I was confronted by an individual, a non-Jew, and he comes over to me excited. Are you a rabbi? I said, in fact, I am. What are you here for? I'm here for a Bunim conference, for a rabbi's conference. He said, that's unbelievable. I'm a priest, and I'm here for a priest conference. I said, that's very interesting. He says, what time are your conferences over tonight? They said, about 10.30. He says, what do you think about meeting in the bar tonight after your conference? I said, to be honest, I don't really go to bars, but what are you interested in talking about? And he said the following, I've always wanted to live the joke of a rabbi and a priest walking into a bar. (laughs) Rabbi Sai, my dear friends, real life is not a joke. Very often we want things to go one way and they go the other. Tonight's session is called Jewish Family Dynamics, Striving for the Ideal, Dealing with the Real. Because I definitely see in my Rabbanus, and I know Rabbi Wallerstein sees from Ornava and his other dealings, a lot of real. And unfortunately, not enough ideal. And the question is, how do we deal with it? The unfortunate truth is, however, that we have a disadvantage. Because we know that the problems that plague the world, they seep into our community as well. And the word family in the world is becoming extinct. And if there's no family, then how can there be a family dynamic? Less than 25% of the households in America today have a husband, a wife, and children in the home. It's interesting to note that the aisle in the supermarket that sells dog food is longer than one that sells baby food. And therefore, we don't have families to learn how to have the family dynamic to deal with it. But we're going to try. We're going to work on it. We're going to discuss strategies as much as possible. Half the battle of dealing with this issue is defining what is ideal. What is the ideal we're trying to strive for? Because we know that frustration comes from unmet expectations. And therefore we have to manage our expectations to understand what are we trying to strive to accomplish. What is the ideal we're trying to have? If you believe that every family lives happily ever after, and you're upset that your after is not so happily, then we can't help you. If you see the picturesque lifestyle of your friends and you say, their life is so perfect, why can't I have that? You're not being fair to yourself. We live in a Facebook generation. Anyone less than 30 in the room says I'm a little bit outdated, Instagram, Snapchat, whatever it's going to be. But we're all comparing our inner lives to people's external lives. The etymology of the word face comes from the word facade. It's the exact opposite of Lashon HaKadosh. Panim is Pnim. We should have a Pnim book. Look at our own lives. Strive to accomplish great things. But they have their Facebook, and we look at their lives, and we get jealous. But it's just the facade. The most unbelievable story that Dr. David Lieberman tells, he was here over this convention, is that one time he was counseling a couple and they're bemoaning the fact, how come my mishpacha, how come my family doesn't look like the Levin family? Their children are perfect. Their Shalom Bayes is perfect. Everything is perfect. And Dr. Lieberman said he was hoping, he only wishes there wasn't a problem with HIPAA to tell them that his next clients were the Levins. We're just not fair to ourselves. When I meet with the Hassanim that I learned with, or I try as much as possible the young couples in my kihila to meet with them, when they first move into the shul, I warn them, nothing new under the sun. I've seen it all. It's all happened out there. Not that you shouldn't work on it. You should watch out for the red flags. 
But ultimately, ultimately, it's happened to everybody, and we have to realize the reality of that matter. So if your fake ideals are the ideals, we can't help you tonight. But if your ideals are real, and you realize that not every child is a Kaddosh Mirachem, we just want good, healthy, happy children. You realize that every single home has its challenges, but you want Shalom bias. You realize that there are aches and pains that happen in life. You're not always healthy, but you want general good health for yourself, for your children, everybody around you. And you realize that in-law relationships can be very tricky, but you want to get along, and you want it to make it work. Then we're going to try to do the best that we can to make it happen. But even if you want those things, it doesn't always go your way. So we can't give any, that many practical strategies how to deal with it. It's a short presentation tonight. But the general idea is that if you can't have the ideal, then you have to have ideal. You have to deal with it. And you have to have the strategies and the tools to be able to deal with it properly. And that's what we're going to speak about tonight. In 2001, the U.S. Army changed the slogan from the old jingle I remember from growing up, be all that you can be, to the army of one. Does anybody know why they changed their slogan from be all that you could be to the army of one? Because they weren't getting the youth. They weren't succeeding in the recruiting. Because there's a certain mindset, the autonomy of our generation. I am great, and I'm good right now. I don't need to strive to accomplish greatness. They don't want to be told, be all that you can be. That flies in the face of them feeling good about themselves right now. And therefore, the U.S. Army faked them out. They lied to them. And they said, the army of one, you're chashev now. And we're going to focus on this idea because the four reasons why they changed that slogan in 2001 to the power of one, to the army of one, is the four meters that we actually need to succeed with the struggles that we have in life. They don't want to be told that they have potential. We know that unfortunately, with nivel peh, sometimes, word are, sometimes bad words are known by their first letter. In yeshiva and the seminaries today, they don't like the P word. What's the P word? Potential. Don't tell me I have potential, I can't become great. I'm chashev right now. People don't like to have patience. We're paying hundreds and millions of dollars to have internet speeds that are a fraction of a millisecond faster. I can't wait for anything. I want results right now. People don't have the perseverance that they need to handle the struggles and the challenges of life. When I was growing up, there was a motto. If the going gets tough, the tough get going. I sense nowadays with individuals and couples and families and so many people, if the going gets tough, just give up. Don't push through. And partnership, needing the help of other people. The army of one solved all those problems. Potential, patience, perseverance, partnership. You on your own are chashev. They changed it in 2006 to Army Strong because they realized it was Sheker. But they understood the generation, and we can't fall prey to what happened to that generation. We have to be better. We have to rise above. So let's talk about these four ideas, the four Ps of perfection, becoming great, potential, perseverance, patience, and partnership. There's a myth. You've probably heard it before that people only use 10% of their minds. It's not true. I did a bit of research, and people do not use just 10% of their minds. I would venture to say, however, that people use only 10% of their potential. And I got this idea from the Kloisenberger Rebbe, Zechot One time he asked some of his Talmudim for help on a certain project, and the Talmudim said to him, we'll do the best that we can, which is basically brushing him off. We'll do the best that we can. The Rebbe says, you just said the worst words you could say. Because you have no clue how much you can do. And he went on to tell them that before the war, he was already a rabbi, he was already giving shiurim to hundreds and hundreds of people. And he was so physically weak that when he gave a shir, he couldn't carry his own svarim to give the shir quality. He had a Talmud, a shamis carried the svarim for him. And all of a sudden he finds himself in a labor camp during the war, during the Muhammad. And they ask him to carry boulders that are 150 pounds, and he picked them up and he did it. Because he realized he thought he couldn't do more, but he can do more. And people have so much more potential than you really think. But it's not just individuals that have potential. We don't think about the fact that families have potential as well. Give credit to my shvera, Dr. Chayderson in Baltimore, for this idea. Did you ever wonder why Hanukkah is such a family yontif? Near Yishu Beiso. Light the menorah in the house. The mishpacha gets together. Why such a focus on the mishpacha? Fascinating to note. 
It's the only yontiv that we have that the heroes are a family. The chashmei Not an individual, not Gantz Kla Yisrael. A mishpacha saved Kla Yisrael. And therefore we celebrate as a mishpacha. And very often we talk at these conventions about the gedolim of our past. Rav Aaron Cutler, Rav Moshe, Rav Yaakov. But why not focus on the dynasties they've established? The Faisi Mishpacha, the Kamenetsky Mishpacha, not just Rav Yaakov, but Rav Shmulshlit and his brothers. There's Mishpachas in Kaisa, the Cutler Mishpacha. Mishpachas can make a major Roshim on Gans Klai Yisrael. And we have to realize that's the way it works. And when we realize we have this potential as Yechidim, and we realize we have this potential as Mishpachas, we have to make the most out of it. And we understand very well that Nisyonis and challenges and tests bring out the best in every single one of us. As individuals, developing our character, becoming better people, becoming stronger people, being resilient people, being bigger people. And it happens to families as well. Who's a better example in history of having difficult family dynamics than Yaakov Avinu? Make all the father-in-law jokes that you want. You can't beat Lavan. His sister-in-law was his wife. His sons were fighting bitterly with each other. But we see that he had a dream. And there were malachim in that dream. But he never met a malach until the end of this morning's parsha, Vayifgu b'malachim. Because after he established his bishpacha, it became great to those challenges. He didn't just dream about angels, he met angels. That's the godless of what we're trying to accomplish. I want to share with you a vort. I'll be honest, I wouldn't have the chutzpah to share this vort with you if I didn't hear it from someone who went through the Nisayan themselves. Because no one could possibly understand the pain of this type of Nisayan unless you're in it. I'm just transplanting his words, ka'amram, as they were said, and sharing it with you. There's a well-known discussion amongst the Rishonim and the Achreinim. How was it that Yaakov Avinu was able to marry two sisters? We know they kept Kol Kula before the Torah was given. How could he marry two sisters? If there was a Cheshbin that they had, they understood. They had to go connected the Ratzayim. I should say connected the words of the Torah itself. They had the Rishush to do that. And Yaakov Avinu understood, I have to remind me the Yubei Shvatim. I have to make Mitasi Shlema to make the foundation of Kal Yisrael. And they bring have the Cheshbin. Aaron David Goldberg, the Shiva of Tells in Cleveland, he had a very small Ha'ara. He said that's the reason why Rachli Menu died in childbirth with Binyamin. If the Cheshbin was that he was able to marry two sisters to make the Yubei Shvatim, then when the last Shevet was born, there's no Rishus anymore. And therefore she had to die. I was inspired by this. I was very excited by this Ha'ara. A beautiful Ha'ara. It's Emes. And I turned to a friend of mine and I said, David, look at this Ha'ara. Look at this Ha'ara. And on the spot he said to me as follows. So it turns out that Rachli Menu who thought that I'm dying by not having children. She didn't realize she was only alive to not have children. And when she had the children, she died. The person that said this word to me, the Mishpacha had ten miscarriages. The Mishpacha lost a child after two years suddenly. So it was coming from somewhere. But they understood, and he took it as a personal physic. That sometimes in life you go through difficult nisayinus, but that's why you were put here in this world, to go through that nisayin. And therefore the first tip we have to understand with dealing with challenges in the mishpacha, the one from Yaakov Avinu, is that we have potential. And the nisayinus bring out that potential in ourselves and our mishpachas. The second thing to keep in mind is perseverance and persistence. There's a lot of bumps along the road when we're on this journey. Rav Victor Miller, has a beautiful, very simple mashal. There was two tractor trailers that had to carry their cargo going cross-country from New York City to Los Angeles. One of them made it all the way. A bump in the bumper. It popped a tire. Filthy with mud. But when it got to the destination, they opened up the hatch in the back and everything was inside. Mission accomplished. Another tractor trailer traveled across the country. Not a single scratch. Not a popped tire. The truck itself was spick and span. Everything was perfect. They open up the back. He forgot the cargo. We're here to accomplish. We're here on a mission. We have to bring the cargo. There's bumps and bruises along the way. We have to understand that. 
I always tell my kihila, I have the greatest school of Hashem bias. Absolute guaranteed. Not a single fight. Don't get married. I have a school of no problems with the chinech of your children. Don't have children. And if you don't have a problem with your children-in-law, don't, don't marry off your children. That's not the way it's supposed to be. We're here to accomplish. We're here on a mission. There are challenges. There are difficulties. And don't get down about it. Just push through and persevere. The key word is, is that you have to have grit. In Bnei Brak, there's a Talmud of Shach that could not handle the stifling heat of Bnei Brak before they had air conditioning. And he went to Roshach and he went to inform him of taking off three months, I'm going to Yeshiva in Yerushalayim. Roshach did not accept this. And he said to him, you're still single. What's going to happen after you get married and things are schwer? Things are difficult. You're going to tell your wife, I'm taking off three months? You can't do that. There are challenges, there are difficulties. You have to push forward and you have to make it happen. The next thing you need to keep in mind is that you have to have patience. The results do not come easy. But you have to work on it. If you realize your potential, you know the Nisiyanos are coming, you have the perseverance, the grit to push through to make it happen, then you'll make it happen. And the final P is the idea of a partnership. Because sometimes you need to realize you can't do it alone. You have to know sometimes when you're out of your depth, you need the support of other people around you. Rahman al-Islan, there's a young woman in my kihila with four children that was diagnosed with a very, very serious illness. My word should be a sufer of Fuashlema Shimona Bastaniala. We received the words and the information about her illness in the middle of Davening Rosh Hashanah morning. The hospital called our security guard. You can imagine we had an early Ni'ila that morning in our shul. The husband obviously is very broken, very difficult situation. Everyone tried and I tried to comfort him to mechazek him, to pick him back up again. But the only thing that really worked was when another man that was going through the same difficulty but further along was mechazek him because he understood him. You have to be someone who understands their needs to be able to fully help them. So if anyone has ever gone through a difficulty, I'm encouraging you to reach out to those who are also going through it. But if you're the one who's going through it, then reach out to others for help and find those who can help you. A woman in our community was telling us that she's having difficulty with her children who are off the derech. She said, I don't need support for my children. There's plenty of programs that we have here in Chicago that are dealing with that, and hopefully everything's going to be okay. I need support. No one understands me. They don't understand my nisayon. They don't get it. They say everything's going to be okay, but it's not okay. You have to give the support. You have to realize you can't handle this nisayonus alone. A therapist, a rov, a rebbitz, and friends, you have to make it happen. Rechaim Shalavis is a famous vort that we know the Malacham Mavis tried to catch Eif and give him an Isayim. And of course, Baruch says you can do anything you want to him, you just can't kill him. Take away his Parnasa, take away his Mishpacha, take away his health. But we know from the story that his friends came to Mechazakim to help him. Frek Rechaim, how come the Malacham Mavis didn't take away his friends? And the answer he gives is so beautiful and so simple. Because you have to remember the deal that they made. You can't kill him. And to take away someone's friends, to take away their support, to take away their network, that will kill him. And therefore, you can't take away their friends. You have to be mechazek. You have to have a partnership. You have to work together. I'm going to leave time for Ray Wallerstein. I just want to end off with one machshava and one maisa. One of the greatest symbols that we have in Yiddishkeit of growth is this morning sulam that was Mutzav Arza, Roshim Megiyah Hashemayma. And many of the ask, why is it a sulam? Why is it a ladder? Why not madregos? Why not steps? One classic answer that's given is that it's a hint to the gra, the Vilna Goyen's Pshat, and Orachayim Lamayla Lamaska. Life's like a downward escalator. Either you're climbing up or you're going down, an elevator, a ladder, I mean. You could climb it, but you either go up or you go down. Stairs, you can stay stationary in one spot. Very beautiful word. I think to suggest something different. Persistence, patience, and potential. A ladder is more difficult to climb than stairs. And therefore, Yaakov Avinu saw a ladder. Because things are not easy in life. And therefore, it's going to be a struggle. And you have to work hard. It's a ladder and not stairs. Stairs are much easier to climb. Patience. It takes more time to climb a ladder. 
Stairs, you can run up the stairs. You can't run up a ladder. And therefore, he saw a ladder in his dream. What about the last one? Well, I'll explain the last one with the following question. What's the highest part of your body? So most people would answer their head. What's the real answer? Your hands. What's pshat? The pshat is that the average person believes the most they could accomplish what their mind can dream and fathom. But they don't realize they can do more than they could dream. And that's why the hands can go above the head. Agav, the hands can go below the feet as well. You have to be very careful. What's the main difference between the way that you climb stairs and the way you climb a ladder? You climb stairs with your hands at your side. But you climb a ladder with your hands above your head. As a message to Yaakov Avinu, the Gans Kla Yisrael, you could accomplish far more than you think you could ever accomplish. You have to dream, you have to do. You have to have patience, you have to persevere. But you can accomplish so much. I want to share with you one Misa about someone that accomplished more than they ever thought they could accomplish. This past Sukkot in Shul, we had a guest. His name is Rabbi Mordechai Smolarsik from Boca Raton. He told me the following Misa. Recently in Boca, a lady came over to him and says, Rabbi, I want to tell you a story. About 10 or 15 years ago, my daughter had a friend that needed a kidney transplant. My daughter had a desire to give her kidney to her friend. She did the tests to see if she's compatible. Unfortunately, she was not. But when she had this cheshek, she had the desire, she wanted to give. She put herself on a registry. If I can't give it to my friend, I'm going to give it to somebody. And sure enough, there was a perfect match in Eretz Yisrael. The man came to Florida. They did all the preliminary testing they had to do to make sure it actually was a perfect fit. And Baruch Hashem it was. And they did the procedure. And they did the transplant. He recuperated in Florida. He went back home. The lady says to Rabbi Smolarsik, do you know who that man is? He's like, how am I supposed to know? That man went on to invent the Iron Dome. She thought she was saving one person. She saved an entire country. That's the way it is. You only think you'd accomplish so much, but you could accomplish far more than you could dream you could ever accomplish. So my bracha to everyone is, Bez Hashem, you realize the four P's of perfection. You realize that you have tremendous potential, not just yourselves or your mishpachas, and that helps you handle the nisyanos that come up in your day-to-day lives, to persevere when the nisyanos come up, and have the patience and the grit to push through, and then find the help and support that you need. And Be'ezah Hashem, if you have these tools in life, you'll be able to accomplish things far more than you ever dreamed you could accomplish for yourselves, for your families, and all of Kalei Thank you very much. That was amazing, the hands above the head. Amazing, amazing. So we're talking about life challenges tonight. Um, I just want to start off with that I'm standing in front of all of you. Um, has a lot to do with life challenges. I deal with a lot of girls that um, have gone through a lot of trauma, a lot of boys that have gone through a lot of trauma, and pretty much feel that um, to go on in life, like, they're not interested in going on in life because something has been taken away from them, and they don't feel that they can continue. So what do I tell them? I'm talking about some really heavy trauma. And most of the trauma and negative things that happen to us in our lives, we didn't choose. It came from Shemayim. We didn't ask for it. We didn't choose it. So Kodesh Baruch Hu, the question is, why are you giving me these challenges? I understand that if I choose to do something wrong, it's my fault. But a lot of the girls and boys that I deal with at seven, six, and eight years old definitely did not choose the trauma that they went through. So how do you answer this? How could Hashem do this to me when I was a little kid? Or even in life when somebody loses somebody. All the different traumas that happen in life that weren't your choice. How do we understand? How do we answer that question? So as I was in, I'm not getting into it too heavy. This is televised and I'm not going to get into it. When I was in third grade, I went through extreme heavy trauma. 
I was re-traumatized in 10th grade. I really wanted out of Yiddishkeit. I wasn't interested because the people that traumatized me represented Yiddishkeit. And I really wanted out. And Baruch Hashem, my mother should have richas yamem, my parents, who I spoke about this Shabbos, who gave me unconditional love. Unconditional love, by the way, is very mistranslated. Everybody thinks that unconditional love is if you let your kids do whatever they want. That's conditional love. You're letting them do what they want because you want them to love you. You're scared if you don't let them do what they want, they won't talk to you anymore. So you're giving them that love on condition that they return it to you. But had they told you, no matter ma, dad, no matter what you give me, even the worst isurim in the world that I want, no matter what you give me, I'm never going to talk to you again. You're not going to give it to them. So the unconditional love perception is the most conditional love. I'm giving you love on the condition that you become from. I'm giving you love on the condition that you talk to me again. Unconditional love means that I'm giving you love whether you talk to me or not. But I'm telling you no when it should be no because I'm giving you unconditional love and you might even hate me for it. My grandchildren hate the doctor's office. When they get into that doctor's office, they're screaming. When they get into the examining room, they're running. When they get a shot, because they have strep or whatever they have, and the shot hurts, and the parents inside are in a lot of pain, but unconditional love means that I'm going to do what's good for you, even... If you're not going to like it, it's not on the condition that you like me. Sometimes in life, God gives us unconditional love, and he knows that you might not like him. But it's very, very special. And I did not go off the derech. I had a couple of years, it was... But I never went off to Derek because I could not do that to my father and mother who I knew loved me so much. And in Tehillim it says, Ibdus Hashem Basimcha, you should serve Hashem with love. And Ibdus Hashem Biyira, it seems to be a conflict. And the answer is no. The greatest fear in the world is to hurt the one you love. There's no bigger fear. Or to hurt the one that loves you. So what David Amalek was saying, Ibdus Hashem Basimcha, serve Hashem with love. And this is a shembiyira. Always have fear to hurt the one that really loves you more than anyone else. When I became 19 years old, when I graduated high school, I made a decision. I said, I'm not going to waste the pain that I went through in third grade. So I'm going to make a difference. I'm going to become a Rebbe. My friends thought I was drinking. I was a drummer. I didn't learn two words. I was on the basketball court. My dream was to be a New York Ranger. I was a hockey player. I was a drummer. I had no interest in learning. And all of a sudden, at 19 years old, I'm telling all my buddies, right, who were like, we're going to open a yeshiva, and you're going to be the businessman that's going to finance it. And I'm like, guys, I'm becoming a Rebbe. Hysterical. By Rebbeim, if they knew about it, would have laughed. Muncie would have laughed. Everybody, Wallace, it wasn't even in the parsha. So the guy said, Zach, why do you want to be a Rebbe? They pay you very little and they never pay you. What a, what a bad job. I said, I suffered so much pain that I'm going to make sure that any kid that I can protect from that pain, I will. And the only way I can protect kids is the 25 kids that are in my class. I'm becoming a Rebbe, and those 25 guys, no one is going to hurt them, and no one is going to embarrass them. And for 30 years, I taught eighth grade, times 25. So I've been 150 kids that didn't get hurt. And I was assistant principal, and if there was any teacher that would be in the office telling another teacher something negative about their class, which was she had no business or he had no business to say, you did not come back to school, you were fired. You're not going to hurt kids. 
I know what it feels like. You know what that's called? It's called struggle muscle. When you struggle, you build what's called struggle muscle. If you don't have struggle muscle, you don't have the power to carry other people that are struggling. Nobody had more struggle muscle than Yosef Atzadik. His brothers tried to kill him. They took all his clothing off. We can't even imagine this. They stripped him to nothing. They threw him into a pit without any clothing on of snakes and scorpions. And he didn't die. And they should have said, this guy's a tzaddik. How could the scorpions and snakes not bite him? So they pulled him up, and I'm sure when they pulled him up, he was like, thank you, give me my clothing back. And I'm right. They said, no, 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 no. We're selling you to Mitzrayim, to the village of Manhattan. That's what we're selling, Yosef HaTzadik, the Yisoyed of Kedusha. We're sending you to the village. We're sending you to the most immoral country, to the most immoral place in that country. Yosef HaTzadik. The Gilgal of Adam, says the Fida. And he comes to Mitzrayim, and Yosef HaTzadik on the way to Mitzrayim says, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, thank you. For what? I know the caravan I'm in usually takes neft, takes kerosene to Mitzrayim, and it stinks. But this one is carrying spices. So you're still taking care of me, aren't you? And the greatest pain, his brothers try to kill him and sell him. He's on his way to Gehenim. I don't want to use the English word. That's where he's going. He knows where he's going. And he turns to Hashem and he says, thank you. At least it's perfume, not neft. And he comes to Mitzrayim and who buys him? Potifa. What does Rashi say? We can't even understand. You're talking about Yosef Atzadik here, okay? He's it. He's the one that's going to take Asaph down. He's Yaakov Avinu's dream. Who buys him? Potifa, says Rashi. Why did Potifa buy Yosef? To be his boy. Potifa bought him from Mishkav Zachar, the lowest of the low. Yosef had Sadiq in Potifa's house. And Potifa realizes, I'm leaving this boy alone because everything he touches turns to gold. I don't want to ruin this. I see that he's a shliach of Hashem. And Yosef Sadiq says, okay, he sold me. This guy bought me for whatever he bought me. I'm, sa- I'm safe. I got a lot of struggle muscle. Hashem's like, no, you don't have enough. To carry the world, you don't have enough. Potifa's wife. And we know what happened with Potiphar's wife. And he's innocent. And he runs away. And Hashem says, no, not enough, Yosef. In the dungeon. And now he's in a pit. Now he's in a dungeon. And what does this Yosef HaTzadik do in the dungeon? You'd think, enough. What saved the world? These two Egyptian lowlifes. Mamish lowlifes. Right? He walks over to them and says, Hey, good morning. You guys look like uh, you're not so happy. What's going on? Why do you look depressed? And they're like, Well, we had a dream. And he translates a dream. We all know the story. You just went through Gehenna. Your brother's trying to kill you. They sold you to Mitzrayim. Potiphar bought you for immoral reasons. Potiphar's wife made up a whole story, and you're in the dungeon, and you care why two Egyptian lowlifes look sad? Because he had struggle muscle, and he went through a very hard time. And when you go through a hard time, you are very sensitive to someone else who's going through a hard time. So he sees two Egyptians who their faces are depressed. He's like, hey man. He didn't say that. He said, hey Egyptian. What's going on in your life? I, I, I know what this is about. And that's what saved the world. And he had enough struggle muscle. He lived in Mitzrayim in Golos. And he taught his children Ephraim and Menashe 
and all the men in this room, every Friday night, we bench our children, Yesimcha Elokim, Ke'efrayim and Menashe. We don't know that much about Ephraim and Menashe. The Torah doesn't talk much. We know Menashe had some bad children coming out of him because of Rashi. But we don't really know, unless you learn the Medrash, that Ephraim went, went against Yehuda, and whatever Yehuda did, Ephraim did even better. But we don't know, Tayyidik or anything, how they, how they were, how they were. So why am I benching my children? Yesimcha Lokim, Ke'efrayim, Chanashe. Two guys that lived in Mitzrayim, they definitely went to public school. There was no yeshiva, that's for sure. They grew up in the worst place. I don't know who they were. Why am I not saying Yisimcha Lokim, Kavon Yisuk Yaakov? I know who they were. And the answer is, they did not have Gullah's struggle muscle. Avram had tennis. Yainais. Yitzhak went on the, on the Mizbeach. Yaakov went through what he went through. But struggle muscle in Golos was Ephraim and Menashe. So when we bench our children and we're in Golos, our bracha is, Yisimcha Lechim Kephraim Elchanashe. So the stuff that we go through makes who we are. So when I have a girl that has gone through Gehenim and there's not much left, and she wants out. I'm like, listen to me. You can save more girls than I ever could. Rabbi Wallace, what are you saying? I'm like, I wasn't traumatized the way you were. It's not what happened to me. I went through something else. But you know how this feels. And you know how it broke you. And you know what you've gone through. If you make it, you could save every single girl that's like you. You could be the teacher in front and you see a kid because you'll recognize the kid who's struggling because you get that big backpack. And you're going to go over to her and she's going to say, Maura, you don't even understand what I'm going through. And you're like, tell me what you're going through. You don't even want to hear it. No, tell me. Oh, really? You know? I went through the same thing. No way! You're just telling me that. I went through the same thing and she tells her the story and this kid is up and flying. The stuff we go through is only to give us the power to help others that are going through the same thing. My, you know, everybody has a favorite in the Torah. My favorite in the Torah is Moshe Rabbeinu. A lot of us is. My, he's, he's my favorite. You know why? Because he couldn't speak. I think 13 times in the Torah it says that he was a kvatpe and an oral sasayim. He stuttered and he lisped. Why is the Torah telling me that? Why do I need to know about Moshe? Say it once. Over and over. If, if there was a therapy, a therapist in the room, they would say, I don't understand why God did this. We don't talk about disabilities in public. <laughs> over and over. Ralph Sosayim, Ralph Sosayim. I don't want to go to power. Ralph Sosayim. It is the most amazing therapeutic session that you will ever hear. Learn Pasha Shmos. Hashem says to Moshe Rabbeinu, go down to Mitzrayim. Moshe Rabbeinu says, I stutter, I can't. Hashem says, it doesn't matter, go anyway. Moshe Rabbeinu says, like a kid in my class who I asked to go speak, if I get up, they're going to say, you never spoke to me. So Hashem has to give them all kinds of proof. They're not going to listen to me, they're not going to believe in me. Why did he speak like that? Because he couldn't talk. And I'm sure that when he went to school, they gave him a very hard time. And you want me to be the leader of Klai Yisrael? And then he turns to Hashem and he says, so if you're God and you're going to take Klai Yisrael out of Mitzrayim, fix my stutter. You can't, you're not even a speech therapist, God, and you're going to take him out of Mitzrayim? Fix my stutter. Hashem says, no way. You're going like this. We're learning this. You know, you know how Moshe Rabbeinu says it to Hashem? I don't have the Chumash in front of me. He says, no, please. Rebbe, don't put me in the, cl- the front of the class and make me give a speech and say the Gemara. I started, they're going to laugh at me. Moshe Rabbeinu used the same words. He said, no, I'm begging you, send Aaron. He's an orator. Hashem said, no. You have to be the leader because you went through all the struggles. And if you know how to speak, Paro's going to say the reason I let the Jews out of Mitzrayim is because Moshe talked me into it. Because you're stuttering and you can't put two words together, Paro could never say that. And the Medrash says that the first thing Paro said when Moshe opened his mouth is, you don't even know how to talk. Look at this guy. He has a God, Yudke Vavke. Oh, we're so scared. 
He can't even straighten out your tongue. Moshe said to Hashem, I told you. I told you this is what's going to happen. Hashem said, we're going to win. He's not going to win. There's nothing that Moshe Rabbeinu didn't struggle with. He was adopted. He was abandoned. He had a, a learning disability. He tried to help the Jews. He wasn't sure what he was. He came out. He said, am I Ish Mitzri or am I Ish Ivri? And he made a decision, the big decision. I've, I'm next to the king. I'm the next king. Moshe Rabbeinu is supposed to be the next king of Mitzrayim. I'm the son of the king. I'm the next king. I got all the money, all the power. I should be a Jew who are getting beat, who are a bunch of slaves. That's what I should become. I should give it all up to be a Jew. And Moshe Rabbeinu made the decision. I love it. He made the decision. I am a Jew. And he saw, he saw the Egyptian hitting the Jew. He said, I got, I got two choices here. Let the Jew get beat up. And I'm the son of the king. Or take this guy out and I'm going to lose everything. And he kills him. And he's so proud. Even though I didn't go to yeshiva, I lived in, in, the, in the king's, I went through all this stuff, I made a decision. I am a Jew. And the two Jews that he saved went straight to Paro and said, he's a murderer. They ratted on him. And Paro tried to cut his head off. And we all know his neck turned into marble. Moshe Benu left Mitzrayim saying, I am never doing this for the Jews again. When Hashem came to him, he said, they are all Bali Lashon Hara. I'm not going back to these people. He learned right away that no good deed goes unpunished. He comes to Midian. He saves Yisro's daughters from the Be'er. What does Yisro do? Thank you. He puts him in a dungeon. For 13 years, he's in a dungeon, and Tzipor is feeding him. So he says, I'm going to the best place you can go, where nobody can bother you. I'm going into the desert. I'm a shepherd. Goodbye. There's nobody in the desert. And the Kodesh Bosch shows up in a bush. Moshe, you think you can run away? You're going back to Mitzrayim. Because nobody knows what struggle more than you. And that's why every time the Jews went off the derach, he fought for them. He said, Hashem, I know they're not good, but you want the whole world to talk about that your children you took out of Mitzrayim? He fought for them because he understood their pain. Yisrael said, you can't do it. Everybody's online. Moshebenu, Tzipora, his children, everything. He understood everything. Everybody's online. Everyone wants to talk to you because you know what's going on. Moshebenu said, Yisrael said, you can't. You can't do it all. But the struggle muscle that he had to be a leader is because he went through what he went through. The pain of abuse never goes away. Anyone who ever went through any type, emotional, sexual, whatever abuse they went through, it's there in your heart, it's a void, it's a hole for your whole life. We go to therapy, and what therapy does, it gives you the ability to live with it. And people live with it. And people went through the Holocaust, and they're living, and they have children, but it's there. And I asked a group of therapists, do you think that you could cure Cure that pain. Most of them said, you can help the person live with it. Deal with it. Continue with it. I said, no. I disagree with you. You can cure it. You can cure any pain. You lost someone that's very close to you, you can cure that pain. There's only one way to cure that pain. And that is when you take your struggle muscle and you use it to help others. What happens when you're helping the other person you realize that had I not gone through what I went through, I would not be able to help that person. So if God would come to me tonight in a dream, I don't expect him to, and say, Zechariah Wallerstein, I can give you back your life without third grade. You can have a normal third grade. You can have a normal tenth grade. You can have a normal life. You want it? Absolutely not. I need to go through what I went through in third grade, 
and I need to go through what I went through in 10th grade because I wouldn't be talking to any of you in this room had I not. And I never would have helped a girl, and I never would have helped all those kids in my class. So therefore, Hashem, I'll take it again. When that's your answer, then the trauma and pain you went through becomes positive. It can actually become positive. The only way it can become positive is when you use your struggle muscle to help others. It's no longer, I am living with pain. I am going forward. The pain, someone just told me last week, unbelievable line. Failure is a huge piece of, a huge part of success. When you fail, you realize what you did wrong, you're building something and it collapsed, oh, that's no good, we have to change it. You failed again until it's perfect. He said, trust me, and this is a very successful man. He said, you really got to fail to succeed. Children fall before they walk. Kids fall off the bed. The first time you found out that your little baby can roll is when they hit the floor. Because until then, they never rolled. We struggle the way we're created. I saw a horse being born. It, it's born, it lays on the floor for two seconds, and it pops up. And it's ready to go. We have to go through a whole thing. I always make it fun. Someone had a cat, right? And the cat's watching what's going on in the house. And all of a sudden, everybody's jumping, everybody's excited, everyone's going crazy. Why are they happy? She got her first tooth! The cat's like, I was born with teeth. Oh my God, she's crawling! Crawling? I never even crawled. I was walking right away. She's walking. If animals look at us, we are so prehistoric. It takes a year to eat real food. It takes a year to get your teeth until you, right? Why don't Hashem do that? Why don't we just pop out, right? Because when Hashem created the world, that's what happened. They were just born. Why don't we just pop out and start walking? And the answer is, if you don't build muscle struggle when you're young, you're not going to be able to live through this world. Hamevin Yavin, what I'm about to say. There's a Mishnah. It's very hard to understand. That if a person wants to be focused in life, he should know where he comes from. Tipa Shrucha, a putrid drop. He should know where he's going to a world of Rima Vesalea, worms, maggots. And he should know that he's going to give a Cheshman to Hashem. You don't want to teach that this day and age. Rabbi, are you kidding me? Kids are depressed and anxious as it is. You want to tell them, hey kids, you know where you come from? A rotten drop. You know where you're going? To a bunch of worms. And guess what? After all that, you're going to stand in front of the king of kings. What's going on here? That is a very depressing Mishnah. I'm just going to take one piece. because I'm not teaching the Mishnah. Whoever understands what I'm going to say, understands what I'm going to say, but it is not normal what the Mishnah is saying. The Mishnah is saying that before anyone in this room ever came to this world, you struggled against a million other cells, and you won, and the rest of them are dead. Before you ever came to this world, you struggled... Every one of us, because you're not born if you're not that one. You struggled against a million others before you were even, anything happened, and you won. You beat them all. Mitipa shrucha. The rest is gone. And you're a human being. Hashem, why'd you do that? One cell of the woman, and one cell of the man, and they meet, and you're pregnant. What's with the million cells? And the answer is, Hashem knows you have to have struggle muscle before you even got here. You struggled to get here. What a Mishnah. So it's not a downer. It's like, you know who I am? I had competition before I was even near this world. And I made it. So what are you scared of competition now? What are you scared of all this stuff? 
If you wouldn't have it in you, Rabbi, I don't have it in me, man. I can't fight. I can't. You, if you didn't have it in you, you wouldn't be here. You'd be the deepest shrucha. Do we understand who we are in this room? Do we understand the potential? Do we understand the inner strength? Do we understand the struggle muscle that each one of us has? But don't get down and don't get depressed and don't get angry. Just the opposite. The kid that's a drug addict, you know what I tell them? I was never a drug addict. I can't talk to kids who are drug addicts. I'll, t- I'll tell you, it's, it's late. I'll tell you a short, short story about drug addicts. So I had a friend when I was growing up who was a drug addict. We used to call him the chemist. What he did with stuff, I, I, had a, I had a chemistry set. My mother had to lock it up. He would come and mix stuff, snuff it, eat it, drink it. I don't know what he did. This guy was higher than any kite you ever flew. He was in a coma three times. And, and in those days, they didn't have the shockers. They didn't have the shockers. And for some reason, Hashem brought him back. I went to visit him in one of those times. Miracles of miracles. Hashem runs the world. He got cured. He's clean. He gets married. He's all into money. Okay, at least whatever. He's into something. I'll talk about that tomorrow. You have to create these different roads in your mind. But he's very into money. He doesn't talk about his drug use at all. His therapist told him that in his mentality, if he even talks about it, he's going back there. So don't talk about... So I couldn't use him to help me with people. Anyway... I get invited to a rehab to talk to the boys and girls in rehab. There are six Jews in the rehab, three girls and three boys. I'm like so excited. I never went to a rehab. Like I'm going to go in there. By the time I get finished with them, they're going to be clean. I come to the rehab and they sent someone to meet me outside and help me park my car. Huge guy. Got a beard with the, like Hell's Angels with the rubber band, you know, tattoos. Jewish guy. Chaim. Like, Yo, what's up, Rabbi? I'm like, what's up, I'm one of the guys. He says, how old are you? When were you born? Weird question. I'm like, 1957. I know, I know. I look like I was born in like 1992, but it's all right. <laughs> Only in California I get that reaction. Like, Rabbi, you don't look that old. That's why I go back to California all the time. I said, 1957, what do you care? He goes, 1957. Yo, man, in the 70s you were a teenager? I'm like, yeah. He goes, come on, you did LSD? I'm like, no. I know the song, but no. And he starts naming this stuff. Did you do this? Did you do this? I'm like, no. And I see he's getting very turned off. And I want to make a joke, which he totally didn't understand. Unless you're my age, you won't understand. I said, I went off a little bit. I used to take St. Joseph's aspirin. St. Joseph's, a little Christian, you know? I went off the derrick a little bit. He had no idea what I was talking about. I was, you know, those little pink pills? Forget about it. This guy, this kid turns on me. I, I see him, I'm in front of him, he turns on me. He says a few very not good English words. They're actually not English, but whatever. He says, what the blank? You coming to talk to us? You never did drugs? You don't know my pain? You don't know what withdrawal is? You don't know anything? Get the blank out of here. I was like, I'm out of here. He was much bigger than me. I said, I'm sorry. I'm going to go home tonight. I'm going to do all the drugs. I'm coming back tomorrow to speak. He says, okay. I'll tell you where to get them. I said, I'm sorry. I went to the guy who, who told me to come. I'm out. This is not for me. He's a high wall never, I never did this stuff. I was a hockey player. I was very careful. I didn't smoke. It was sports, 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 sports. The age of her that saved my life was sports. I didn't do anything that my friends were doing because I was going to be a New York Ranger. Forget about it. It didn't happen, as you realize. So I told him, I can't, I can't do it. He says, Wallstein, we're paying you. You go back in there. Don't have to be scared of no kids. I want you to speak to them. I'm like, I can't speak to them. But I have a friend, the chemist. And if he speaks to them, I promise you, they're all going to straighten out. He said, okay, go get him. I said, I'm not really allowed to call him. I went home. I said, you know what? I'm calling him. I called him up. He says, hey, Zach, what's going on? I'm like, you're not going to like what I'm about to say. I need you to come to a rehab. There are six Jewish kids. I need you to tell them how you got clean. I need you to put on your big Rolex, which would knock the back. It was so big, it goes to the back wall over there. 
and, and, and come up, shine up. He had a beautiful Mercedes. This guy was dressed to kill. His hair was greased back. His t- this guy was, he looked good. I'm like, you should make sure you look good. And you go in there and you tell these kids, he goes, I'm hanging up the phone. I asked you never to ask me to talk to kids about drugs. I'm like, well, I'm going to tell you something. And if you want to hang up the phone afterwards, you can hang up the phone. I said, why do you think Hashem, you were in a coma three times. I saw you once. Why do you think Hashem brought you back to this world? To have a Rolex? To drive a Mercedes? He brought you back because you can do what I can't. You can talk to these kids and I can't. And I'm going to tell you something. If you don't, Ke'es Hazois said Mordechai to Esther. If you don't stand up at this moment and help these kids, you might not wake up tomorrow morning. Because if the reason you're in this world is to help kids and you don't help them, then Hashem doesn't need you here. So you know what? I love you. I really want you to wake up tomorrow morning. He's like, are you out of your mind? Hold on. And he puts his wife on the phone. What did you just tell my husband? I said, I told your husband that if he doesn't talk to these kids, he just might not wake up tomorrow. She says, are you out of your mind? I'm like, no, we all come to this world. We have a certain shlichus. This came up. Why do you think Hashem brought him back? So now they're all scared that if he doesn't wake up tomorrow morning, it's her fault because I called. It worked perfectly. He says, okay, but I'm telling you right now that if I relapse, just have it on your neshama. I said, you do this with Siyad Shmaya, you're not going to relapse. Did I have a right to gamble with his life? No. But I did. I'm not going to tell you that it was the right thing to do. But anyway, I said, 30 minutes. So this is what he tells me. He comes to the, comes to the rehab. The big guy's there. He's like, yo, how old are you? He's my age exactly. 1957. He goes, yo, man, what did you do? Are you like Wallerstein? You played hockey? What did you do? Some stuff. And my Meshuggah friend starts telling him, I did this. I did, not only did this, but I mixed the two. And Meshuggah, my friend, taught him new stuff. It's not why I sent him there. Right? And he's, you know, he's showing off. And not only that, I was almost dead three times. The guy's like, my guru, my God, coma three times and you're here? I mean, that's the ultimate hit, Chas Rishon. So he says, he walks me into the room, there's a bunch of girls there, and some guys, there's six guys all together, and he's like, you don't know who this guy is, he did this and he did that, and he mixed that. They're like, you can mix those two? <laughs> my friend, that's what he did to them, right? Six hours, he was in that room with those kids. Two boys went to work for him. They're clean. They're good. You don't understand. I could not do anything for these kids. I don't have that struggle muscle. Or now a girl came over to me. She's a Brooklyn girl. And she's 21 years old. And she said to me, Rabbi Wallerstein, explain to me why I'm not your daughter. Because I didn't marry your mother. That's not what I'm asking you. How does Hashem, this is big, and I'll leave you with this. How does Hashem choose? My parents are divorced since I'm three. I know her very well. And they slept at a court. Oh my gosh. Why am I not your daughter? And why isn't your Malki my parents' daughter? Why does Hashem choose me to be in that family? How does he choose that? Bomb question. From a child that's in pain. And I said, I know you're not going to like what I'm about to tell you, but Hashem doesn't give us a test that we can't pass, but you might fail. Everyone thinks you don't get a test that you can't pass and you're going to pass. Oh no. Oh no. You can fail. But if you can't pass, the translation is it's not a test. If I come into this room and I ask you for, I don't know, a theory in physics that none of us learned about. I'm like, so describe that to me. I'm probably some people here that could, but something that none of us know about anything about it at all. So it's not a test. I know you don't know it. If I come into this room, I say, what's one plus one? That's not a test. I know you all know it. What's a test? You might know it. You might not. You might pass. You might fail. So the saying is, Hashem doesn't give you a test that you can't pass because if you can't pass, it's not a test. 
Doesn't mean you will pass. It means you can pass. It's going to be your choice to step in or to step out. So I said to this girl, I said, listen to me carefully. My, my daughter Malki, she has her test that you can't pass, that I'm her father. You wouldn't be able to pass that, that's for sure. I said, you, one day, you're going to get married, Mitzvah Hashem, soon. You're going to have children, and your daughter's going to come home from 10th grade, and she's going to say, Ma, could I bring home, there's a girl in my class, she's not doing well. Could I bring her home? And you sure. And the girl's going to come down, Matthew Shabbos, after Shabbos, with a little suitcase, and she's going to turn, women are very funny, listen to what happened. I said, and she's going to turn and say, Mrs. Schwartzberg, that was the greatest Shabbos I ever had. This girl looks at me, but I'm telling you, she goes, oh, his last name is Schwartzberg? I shouldn't go out on any shudders if the last name's not Schwartzberg? I'm like, it's a muscle. I just picked out the name Schwartzberg. No, Rabbi Wallstein, it's Ruach Kodesh. I'm telling you, what's his first name? I'm like, no name, first name. Otherwise, you're going to be waiting for Raphael or some other name. Women, they're okay. Anyway. So I said, and this girl's going to go, Mrs. Schwartzberg, oh, your house, it's out of, it's out of architectural digest. And, and how did you learn how to cook? Your food is amazing. You're a chef. And your husband, he has such a beautiful voice. And your children, oh my gosh, this is the best chef I've ever had. You have such a beautiful home. I wish I could have it one day, but I won't. Ha- I, I, I'll never have this. And of course, the mother, Mrs. Schwartzberg, is like, knock on wood, depending if you're Sephardi. Knock on wood, knock on your head. Don't talk like that. Of course you can have this. Why are you saying that? And she looks up and she goes, you know, I'm in 10th grade and, and, and my parents got divorced when I was in 8th grade. And, and who's going to marry me? You know, from a broken home. No, one, no one's going to marry me. And this, Mrs. Sh- this girl that's standing in front of me, who's Mrs. Schwartzberg, I'm like, and you're going to turn to her and say, really? Your parents got divorced when you were in eighth grade? My parents got divorced when I was three. Oh, you're just telling me that because you don't want me to feel bad. No, ask, ask your friend about her grandparents. What? When you were three? She goes out of the house with her suitcase, she says. When she was three and she has this, I had my parents together until eighth grade. Oh my God, I'm going to have a mansion. <laughs> I said, that's why you went through what you went through. Because in Megatolis, it will happen one moment in your life that all your pain and that struggle muscle is going to carry someone else. I have three minutes. Last story. I'm not going to say where I was. I was asked to talk to a, a group of girls that were orphans. And they said, Ray Wallstein, 530, you're going to come home from school. You're going to meet in this house. You need this, in this place, wherever the city was, there was a lot of accidents. There was a murder. And there was a lot of kids that were never famous. And they know, we need you to give chizik. And I was flying on the red eye. You could already figure out maybe where it is, but whatever. And, and I said, okay, no problem. 530, I, you know, I can handle it. Figuring there was five or six girls, seven girls. So what age? They said six to 16. Okay. I come into the house. There's a semicircle, 23 girls. I was not prepared to talk to 23 girls. And they have snack and they have everything. And I get up and I do my Moshe Rabbeinu. And I do my Yosef Atzadik. And look what they became. And we go through trauma. My whole speech I'm giving you. And we go through trauma and you get struggle muscle. And you know, you didn't choose that your parents should pass away. So if Hashem chose it, you can handle it. And you can help all the kids that have you. And I'm giving my whole speech. I know when I'm on. I was on. I was right on target. And there were some mothers that lost their husbands and whatever. Sitting there listening. And they're shaking their heads like. Wallstein did a good job. And I finished. This little girl, every time I see the story, it's like I see her. Little girl named Devi, she says, Rabbi Wallenstein, can I ask you a question? Oh, yeah, what you going to ask me? Like, you know? I said, what's your name? She goes, Devairi. I'm like, Devairi, how old are you? Seven. I said, okay, what's your question? She looks at me, pure, innocent, and I'm, I hope I'm not triggering anyone here. I apologize if I do. She looks at me with her big, big brown eyes, and she says, did you have a mommy when you were seven? I wasn't ready for that question. I said, Baruch Hashem, I, yeah, I did. Do you still have a mommy? 
I'm like, for Hashem, I do. She goes, ah! I'm like, you don't know my mother. What kind of reaction is that? <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, within four minutes, I lost them all. The older girl said, oh, we have to go. We have to do homework. The young ones went into the kitchen. I was like, what did you do to me, Devairi? Nobody came to ask me questions. Nobody wanted to talk to me. And I realized, if you have a mommy, why are you telling me all these stories? So I took the red eye, and in the morning I went to my mother. I said, Ma, I got to talk to you. She says, Chaya, what, what's going on? I'm like, I have to ask you, Mechila. She says, again? <laughs> what did you do? I said, Ma, I'm going to tell you the truth. Don't be angry at me. This little girl asked me if I had a mommy when I was seven. I really wanted to say my mother died in childbirth. Because I knew that's what she needed. I really wanted you to be half dead when you gave birth to me. And then she asked me if you're still alive. I wanted to at least tell her, I don't have a mommy, I understand you. Now, Ma, I'm very happy you're alive, don't get me wrong. And I'm asking you, Mechila, for those thoughts. Because if I had told that girl, you lost your mother when you were seven, my mommy died when I was three, she'd be like, I could be like Rabbi Wallstein. He also lost his mommy. I don't have that Baruch Hashem. I don't have that struggle muscle. But someone does. And Hashem creates that struggle muscle. And the reason we go through the things that we don't choose, because He wants you to use it. He wants you to step in. He doesn't want you to be depressed and give up on life. He wants you to step in and live life and close that pain and close that hole by realizing, I now can help someone that other people can't help because they don't know how it feels. And that's how you get through your stuff. And that's why Moshe Rabbeinu became the leader of Klai Yisrael. Because he had a big, big struggle muscle. And Yosef HaTzadik. And Avram Avinu, every Nisayan was to build the muscle of the Av of Klai Yisrael. So don't hang your head down because of the stuff that's going in your life. Just the opposite. Your biggest ability is your greatest disability. Agatavach. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.